0: This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, seminarian Adam Urban talks about four saints for our times.
1: One body. One body. Stewarding God's creation.
0: Why can these saints be a strength in the times in which we live? One body! One body. How can we model their lives? One body. Well, let's find out. Adam is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host. Ken Billinger.
2: We welcome in Adam Urban, a Hayes native and alumnus of Fort Hayes State University. After graduation, Adam moved to Dodge City, where he was director of youth ministries for the Dodge City Diocese. After two years of serving in that role, he left to enter the seminary, currently discerning the call to the diocesan priesthood for the Diocese of Dodge City. And We welcome in Adam Urban. You are at St. John Vianney, is that correct?
1: Yeah, St. John Vianney Seminary in, in Denver.
2: All right. Well, this afternoon, we're going to talk a little about saints in times of crisis. And we'll talk about a number of individual saints, and I'm going to kind of let you roll with that. Let's just start with our first saint this afternoon, uh, four great saints that we're talking about. Um, in fact, the last saint you're going to talk about, I've learned a little bit more what an amazing woman she was. Um, just really started learning more about her and what a life she had. It was just incredible. So we're going to start, though, with St. Ignatius of Antioch, and I'm going to let you kind of take it away and start uh, uh, giving us a little bit of information about St. Ignatius.
1: Sure. Thanks, Ken. Uh, before I, I get too far into it, I might uh, just start here with a little bit of a prayer. Absolutely. Um, and then and then just why I thought this topic was important, um, especially for this time. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May Mary, seed of wisdom, be a sure haven for all who search for wisdom, the sure and final goal of all true knowing. May our journey into wisdom be freed of every hindrance by the intercession of the one who, in giving birth to the truth, in treasuring it in her heart, has shared it forever with all the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to talk about these four saints, uh, particularly during this time of crisis. Um, because just being here in Denver and getting to talk on the phone with a lot of people, um, especially once the coronavirus struck, um, it really just struck me that we need role models in our lives who we can look to um and say they've walked this road. I mean, they've done what we've done, and the Catholic Church through the centuries, um, every time we've needed a hero, a saint has been raised up. And so, a lot of people you'll hear are saying, like, when can things go back to normal? And just kind of dominated the news and dominated the press and dominated the governors and dominated everything. And everyone is wondering like how can we go back to normal um and so i just wanted to reflect on particularly these four saints um because i think they probably asked the same question like when can things go back to normal because um, god had a great calling for them as he does for all of us um, and they remind me and hopefully those that are listening that um maybe there is going to be a new normal um, but God is still walking with us through that. And so I think there's just a lot of people who are feeling alone um, and feeling forgotten, especially like the elderly at this time. And so I'm hoping that these saints um, can give some clarity and maybe some hope uh, to all of us. Um, and, and they remind me especially, as I've been kind of contemplating on them, um, to not forget the cross and I think it's it's so easy um, to forget the cross, especially because we're worried about our physical health during this time. Um, but more importantly, we need to worry about our spiritual health. And these saints just constantly, um, when I was reading their stories, they point me back to the cross every time. Um, and that the greatest virus of our times and of our lives and of any age uh, is the is a virus of sin. For what does it profit for a man to gain the world but lose his soul? And so that's kind of why I wanted to focus on these four saints. And I'll I'll share a little bit about them, and then feel free to jump in uh, whenever, and we can just discuss why I think they're important. Uh, But the first one I want to talk about is St. Ignatius of Antioch, which the viewers and the listeners might think that's an unusual selection, because St. Ignatius... Uh, lived in the very first century. So we're gonna go all the way back to the time of of really Christ and of the apostles. And it's really unclear when St. Ignatius of Antioch was born. Um, Some say he was actually the child uh, when Jesus gathered his disciples and said, unless you become like a little child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in Matthew 18. So some people, there's some legend that says St. Ignatius was actually that child. Um, But regardless, we know from St. Jerome that St. Ignatius was an apostle of the Apostle John. So we're just talking basically of one generation removed from Christ himself. And St. Ignatius is known as an apostolic father there's, he's one of three apostolic fathers. And the apostolic fathers are those who had direct contact with, with the 12, basically. And so St. Ignatius is living at the end of, basic, of the first century. And he's a bishop of Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey today. And... He's, ruling, he's trying to rule over his flock. I mean, he's actually the bishop of Antioch for 30 years, which is a long time. And we cross over into the second century, so it's like 100, and the evangelist John dies. So St. Ignatius' teacher passes away. And so it's kind of a, a new era for Christianity because all of the original founders have been deceased. John was uh, died from an, from an earthly death, but all the others were martyred. And so I believe St. Ignatius leads the church for the first time ever into an age where there's no living witnesses of Jesus. And so St. Ignatius is the bishop for 30 years. And scholars say around the year 115, there is an earthquake in Antioch. And Antioch at the time was a a big city. It would be like Denver or New York today. And there was a lot of death and there was a lot of suffering from this earthquake. And the current ruler of the time, the current emperor of Rome... Trajan blamed, blamed the catastrophe on the Christians. And so in order to take revenge, he goes after their leader. So he goes after St. Ignatius. And this was still during the time of the, the Roman Colosseum and the gladiator games. And so St. Ignatius is dragged in a rather unusual event from Antioch to Rome to be martyred. And all we have of him are seven letters. So he's one of the earliest, some of the earliest writings of the church that aren't in the Bible. And he wrote these beautiful seven letters reflecting on his life and writing to the to seven churches of the day. And I think they're an extraordinary count of, of his perseverance and of his testament of faith. And I think they're extra pertinent today um, because he really calls these churches to unity. St. Ignatius was the first one ever to use the term Catholic. A lot of Catholics uh, kind of know him by that. It's kind of his claim to fame. And so he's dragged off from Antioch to Rome, and he writes these letters and then it's these letters that we have today. And so maybe I'll, I'll read some of these letters in a bit um, if, you, if you have some follow-up questions, Ken. But I, I think it's a beautiful image because St. Ignatius talks about how he's writing these letters in chains. I think that's kind of uh, the imagery that many can deal with today. They feel confined and they feel very anxious. Um, they don't know what the future is going to bring, and neither did St. Ignatius, And so he he writes these letters, um, and I quote here, I do not command you as if I were someone, since I am in chains in the name of Christ. I am not yet complete in Jesus Christ. For now I am just at the beginning of being a disciple, and I speak to you as a fellow learner. But your love does not permit me to keep silent about you, so I will take the opportunity in advance To encourage you, so that you will agree with the will of God, and I think it's—I mean—every letter he writes is just beautiful, Um, and you could spend all day reflecting on the passages. But he's just talking about the humility of being a disciple and starting again. You know, here's a man who's been a bishop for 30 years, Um, and some people that are feeling anxious and lonely today—they've been. You know, they've been living their life the same way for a long time. We've been going to the markets. We've been going to our sporting events. And then all of a sudden, something changes. And St. Ignatius reminds me that there's always this beginning again. And that's why he says, I am just now at the beginning of being a disciple. And every day is we have to say yes to God in a new way. And we have to renew our yes each morning. Um, and so St. Ignatius, he's usually pictured in churches and iconography um, being eaten by lions, and which actually happened to him in Rome. But these seven letters are all that remain. Um, but he really starts a new era, a new normal for the rest of Christian history. And for that reason, I just, I just had to talk about him a little bit um, and read some of his excerpts. So. Uh, that's kind of what I got on Saint Ignatius. If you want to ask some questions now, Ken, I'll be more than happy to uh, to stop talking for a little bit. Um. <laughs> I mean, no, that's
2: fine. I, you've covered a lot, and it's great information, Adam. And uh, obviously, Saint Ignatius of Antioch—one of the—we uh, were actually talking about the book, The Four Witnesses, which is he's included in that book um, that uh, Rod Bennett wrote, and a lot of great. Uh, it's also Justin Martyr, I think, Irenaeus of Lyons, and. And um, uh, Clement of Rome, a great book for people who may have an interest in those some of those early church fathers. Um, it's a great book to pick up and a great read. and, and Saint. Ignatius of Antioch certainly was was an amazing man and, and as, as the saints you're talking about today it's quite quite a list. And we're going to jump to uh, Saint. Catherine of Siena as well and to let you kind of share a little bit about her.
1: Sure. let me just uh, and then I got to get this one last quote sure. over St. Ignatius. Then Absolutely. I'll jump to St. Catherine. So th- my last point on St. Ignatius is that in these letters, uh, he really encourages those he's writing to 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 not allow him to be taken back by the church, which is I think really beautiful for us to reflect on now, and to really enter into like he took on his suffering in a really unique way, not asking it to be gone, but asking it to be transformed. And he says, let me be thrown to the wild beast for there. I can reach God. If I am ground by the teeth of wild beasts, I will end up as pure food for Christ, fire and cross, breaking of bones, mangling of members, Wicked torment of the devil, let them assail me so long as I get to Jesus. And, um, yeah, that's just my last quote for St. Ignatius. Yeah, but. which is
2: a, a very powerful quote that's probably the one that maybe he m- might be most well-known for, uh, but it is a very, certainly a very powerful quote. Um, and, yes. and then you, uh, you were going to talk a little bit about St. Catherine of Siena, and uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and uh, take off on St. Catherine as well.
1: Sure. Well, it's actually God's providence. I forgot that today is actually the feast day of St. Catherine of Siena when I was choosing these saints. And St. Catherine is really well known, um, at least via name in most Catholic circles. But I think some of her finer points are unknown. Uh, So St. Catherine was born in the year 1347, so we're in roughly the middle to later part of the Middle Ages, and just to give a small context, the rise of the university had really taken place and there was a reawakening during this time of intellectual culture um, and a vigor to learn. So many of the, the Greeks' writings had made their way back into Europe, such as Aristotle and Plato. And so right before St. Catherine of Siena, uh, you have great intellectual figures like Thomas Aquinas, Bonaventure. Done, Scotus and others, um, Saint Anselm a little bit before, and these are all doctors of the Church. And then, out of the blue, there comes along a Italian girl who is uneducated. Of course, it's Catherine, and basically, right away, uh, Catherine's life is is really dedicated to God in a unique way. So, at the age of six or seven, she has her first vision of Christ. And it was her first of many, many mystical experiences. And uh, Christ was actually dressed in the papal garments. And so from that time on, she knew, like, I had to serve him. And so here this young, uneducated Italian girl starts living the mystical way. And it's in direct opposition, basically, of all of her all of her peers before her, who were great intellectual giants. And so St. Catherine decides that she wants to enter religious life, but her parents, as many saints uh, had, her parents were not necessarily in favor of this. And so they tried to uh, keep her at home and marry her off, which was pretty common at that time. So Catherine famously makes a, a literal cell in her home. So she confines herself to a uh, room in her house for three years. And for those three years, uh, Catherine really begins her mystical journey in the writings that we have of her today. And not only is it her feast day today, which is fitting, but all of us, or most of us, are currently stuck in our homes. And so what an incredible uh, witness that Catherine was doing the same thing, not only uh, literally, but figuratively. And so during this time, she, she wrote about her, uh, her spirituality of what she calls the interior cell, um, which is really just trying to block off all of her, her passions and desires to actually allow Christ a space in her to hear his voice, and, and she did this, and, and with the grace of God, her writings are just eloquent on how she experienced God in, in her cell, in her own home. And so she was there for three years, and then uh, after that, she started leaving the home more. Um, and she joined the Dominicans kind of as a like a tertiary Dominican, um, so not fully in them, but living their spirituality very much. Um, and so in her twenties still uneducated, really couldn't read or write at all. She leaves her home for good and starts uh, basically revolutionizing Italy via her spirituality and mystical experiences. She is critical for actually bringing the papacy back to Rome. Mm -hmm. So during during this time, Pope Gregory XI, I believe, um, had moved the papacy to Avignon, France, and it was there for a while and it, it's saint catherine of siena the uneducated unlearned girl from italy who brings uh, gregory in the papacy really back to rome and so she has a profound impact most of her writing is on her spiritual and mystical experiences and there's just so much i mean a quote from her uh, that is very famous is if you are who you are meant to be you will set the world on fire but she she would constantly say like the human heart is always drawn towards love um and she had the spirituality of not just the cell but the staircase to the father so i encourage the listeners if you have time grab some of saint catherine of Siena's works um, and read her spirituality because uh, it is incredible you know, so that's just a small offering of St. Catherine's.
2: Yeah, and she I, she's one of my, she's a favorite saint. And, and, and just, you know, what's amazing about her is the fact that this girl was uneducated is amazing when you read some of the stuff that she wrote. And I just found a piece here that I love from her, and I just want to share it. She says, do you want to live in security? Then hide yourself within his side and see that you are never found outside his opened heart though once you encounter, you will discover such joy and sweetness that you will never want to leave. For it is an open storehouse filled with spices overflowing with mercy, and that mercy gives grace and leads to everlasting life, where there is life without death, hunger without pain, perfect and complete joy with no bitterness at all. There our appetite and taste are satisfied and i just thought you know what just that's the way she wrote she was a really a pretty amazing saint and and it's just interesting you know when you talk about the fact that she was uh, an uneducated young girl and uh, you look consider the writings that you've seen her do um along her, in her lifetime it's been pretty amazing
1: it yeah it's it's a supernatural ability to read and write <laughs> and uh yeah some people get thrown off by her Her just uh, the depth of her spirituality. Um, But I think if we really reflect on it um, with humility, um, which is really her key to the spiritual life, um, St. Catherine has consistently been a pivotal player in the church. And so I think she's an excellent figure for this time. Um, The image of her in her cell um, is the image of many of us now. Um, And so really let's not waste our time but offer our time to God and and really hear how he's speaking to us.
0: We need to take a short break right now, but whether you're listening via radio, computer, phone app or on Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more about Saints for Our Times with Adam Urban. Divine Mercy Radio for Saints for Our one Times,
1: God's
0: Creation, one body, one body, with Seminarian Adam Urban, One Body, God's Creation. Ken Billinger conducts the interview.
2: We're talking about saints in times of crisis. St. Ignatius of Antioch. We heard a a little about St. Catherine of Siena. Our guest this afternoon is Adam Urban. And uh, Adam, I'm going to let you continue. Again, another great saint. And if you're ready to roll on to St. Maximilian Kolbe, uh, you can certainly do that, unless there was some more that you wanted to finish up with St. Catherine.
1: No, that's perfect. And this probably goes without saying, but... Uh, this is just a very, very cursory overview of all these saints. Um, so I just really encourage um, our listeners to to go out and pick up a biography of one of these saints, because um, it really is it really is inspiring, and they're just they will do wonders uh, for your spirituality and for your faith. So yeah, just kind of covering the surface here, but uh, still great. So the next saint is Saint Maximilian Colby kind of a more popular saint, especially amongst young Catholics during this time. But a saint, pretty recent, the last two saints I'm covering are are pretty recent. You know, the early half of the 1900s. So St. Maximilian is a a Polish saint, uh, born in 1894. And from an early age, I would say he he also, like St. Catherine, gravitated towards a religious calling, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't as clear cut. Um, he he has a story where he, his mom was mad at him one day. And uh, she just kind of said, uh, like many moms would say, you know, what will you be, what will become of you one day? And um, that kind of got him thinking. His, his birth name was Raymond. So he kind of, yeah, Raymond, what will become of you one day? And so it, it got him thinking. And um, he eventually entered into uh, the Franciscan order. And so he, he studies in the early part of the 1900s. This is like World War I is going on. And um, he becomes a, a brother first, obviously, and then he gets ordained a priest. And really, once his priesthood took off, St. Maximilian had a real gift for using mass media. Um, now, at the time, it wasn't Facebook or you know, I don't know TikTok or whatever the case is popular today. It was via the radio and newspapers, which you know was newer technology, um, especially the radio at the time. And so uh, Maximilian, his his name was changed from Raymond. He starts basically an apostolate of media. And he he travels both in Europe and in Poland, but also in Japan, and he starts some seminaries. And one of the seminaries he started, I mean, I'm not sure if there's ever been a bigger one since, had like 760 guys living in this seminary. So it's really unusual. And at this seminary, they are using radio and, and making this newspaper, making this magazine. And at the height of their uh, publication, they were publishing like 60,000 um, you know, copies a month. So it was highly successful. And, and I think a lot of vocations are attributed to him. But of course he's famously known for in 1941, He was captured by uh, the the Germans, by the Nazis. And uh, him and several other of the friars were sentenced to, you know, concentration camps. And it is there that, you know, his story really flowers. And so February 1941, he's sentenced to Auschwitz, where, you know, scholars today estimate about 1.5 million people uh, perished. And at the time... Auschwitz had the policy that if a prisoner was caught escaping, 10 of the prisoners had to die. So it was really a measure to prevent you know, people from escaping. And so one day, uh, this is July, so he's been there for probably six, six months now, a prisoner tries to escape. And uh, they, so the, the SS guards line up 10 people. Um, and say, you know, you, you're going to have to die. And their, their, way, of, their way of killing the, the 10 who were selected in punishment for the one was, was really just total starvation. So they didn't shoot them. They didn't hang them. Uh, they starved them. No food and no water. And so 10 people were selected. And at the beginning, St. Maximilian wasn't, wasn't one of them. But one of them was a father. He was a husband and a father, and he was pleading for them not to take him. And so Maximilian famously um, steps up for the first time in Auschwitz's history, um, historians believe, and says, I will take his place. And so there Maximilian takes his place. And so the 10 are sentenced to block 12, um, I believe. And so in block 12, they are they're starved, no food and no water, and and there's just these wonderful, wonderful historical documents of psalms of praise coming from Block 12, and Maximilian Colby going from the nine um, each night and just praying with them for peace, and I think it's pertinent today in our crisis, but pertinent forever. St. Maximilian is still interceding for us in our own blocks, in our own homes, in our own communities. I mean, it's St. Maximilian who is praying for peace. And so he lived like 10 days or, or maybe it's two weeks. I'm not sure exactly how long. Just an unbelievable amount of time without food or water. Um, all the nine have, have since died. And um, they actually get so frustrated that he keeps living That they come in um, and they inject him uh, with carbolic acid Um, and so saint maximilian uh, passes away uh, with a radiant smile on his face and so saint maximilian is is a fantastic saint um, not just for vocations not just for mass media but really in the face of suffering to remember to honor those who are around him to serve constantly and with devotion um and incredibly the man who he stepped up for lived at auschwitz for the next five years and in 1992 don't quote me on that date in 1992 that man was at saint maximilian colby's canonization in rome by saint john paul ii and um it just it just gives me chills Mm -hmm. that like that's what the priesthood is all about. Mm. Um, it, it's heroic and it's about sacrifice. And he's just a great, great saint. John Paul II named him the saint of uh, the 20th century. And so here's this saint, a light in the darkness, truly in Auschwitz. So if you ever get the chance to go, I'd recommend visiting his cell, which is now a shrine. Um, I haven't seen it personally, but I've I've heard plenty of testimonies. And so I think he is a light in our darkness as well, Um, a light forever uh, who says, I bring peace.
2: Yeah, it's an incredible story. In fact, I have a friend that I know well who uh, has two children, well, has many children, but one one, one child named Maximilian, or Max, and the other named Colby, spelled K-O-L-B-E. And, I mean, that's his. he has such an affection for this saint that he has a children, uh, ch- child named after the first name and the last name. And it's quite incredible. And he is quite an incredible saint. Since we've talked about St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Maximilian Colby, And the next saint is someone who I really wasn't that familiar with, Adam, until just recently read some information on her and the life that she—man, it, it was horrible— but I'm going to let you share that with our listeners and tell us a little bit uh, about the next saint. Go ahead.
1: As for our last saint, also a very modern saint, but not as much notoriety yet as St. Maximilian Kolbe, is St. Josephine Bakhita. Um, so St. Bakhita is the first Sudanese um, saint ever, so in the history of Sudan, the first saint and also, like Maximilian, canonized within the last a couple of decades, so that's really recent in the Church. And so in contrast to St. Ignatius of Antioch, who was really at the beginning, she's kind of at the end. And I wanted to, to have her as a capstone, uh, because I believe she might be the like one of the greatest saints uh, for true hope. And I'm reminded of uh, Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not your woe, so as to give you a future of hope. And that's from uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And she is that for me, and I think she is that for this time. Um, so she was born on the later half of the 1800s, but remarkably during that time in Sudan, Records weren't kept, so we're not quite sure exactly um, her birth date, because at the age of eight or nine, depending on what they've been able to pull from biographical sources, uh, Josephine was actually taken into slavery, which was common of the time. So these uh, kind of these marauders would come through the villages, and they would You know, pull these young children from their homes and send them uh, to the northeast, usually to Muslim countries. And so, in just a tragic um, accident, one day she was out with her friend, and this happened to her and her friend. And she was captured again. Most most people think it was around the age of you know seven, eight, maybe nine and taken into slavery. And it, it was at such a young age that she never really even knew or remembered her own dialect. And so all that she knew, her whole world was turned upside <laughs> down in an instant. Well, isn't that the same for us? You know, one day in March our whole world is turned upside down in an instant. Certainly not as bad as what she had. And so she was taken away um by these Arab traders, by these Arab merchants And while she was in slavery, she was bought and sold several times over, like five times over. Um, Which is really remarkable because in her heart, uh, when you read her biographies and and parts of her, her story that people have written about her, she would have gone through this incredible pain of like thinking she's free and then going back and thinking she's free and then going back. And man, it's just so powerful um, with the time that we're living in today. But her last two slave um, owners were just awful. And the torture that she endured is really, in some sense remarkable that she was even able to live. There was once she was uh, like bedridden for over a month um, from sores just from horrible beatings. I'm not going to get into all the details. If you want to read a great book, there's a book called Bakita from Slave to Saint by Ignatius Press um, that I really highly recommend. But she suffered terribly, terribly, terribly. But by the grace of God and His providence, she was eventually sold uh, from her her last owner and and, and bought by someone who had lots of ties to Italy. And so... uh, Really, I mean, just by remarkable grace, she's moved to Italy with an owner who really um cared for her, and so you know obviously, from Sudan, Africa, here's this african American woman in Italy, a very unusual culture, and she's trying to figure out her life and she gets acquainted with uh, these what's they're they're known as the Kenosian sisters, and they're a religious order and she, she had really never been in contact with Christianity all these years that she had been a slave, I think 12 years of being a slave at least. And so she contacts these Kenosian sisters. Part of part of it was actually through the intercession and help of uh, the Cardinal of Venice at the time, who later went on to become St. Pope Pius X. But she converts to Christianity after growing up in S- Sudan and then speaking and living in the Arabic world as a slave, this now freed slave becomes a sister. And so for the next 42 years, she lives her life in quiet and in solitude in Italy, not educated, you know, horribly, horribly bruised and and scarred and tattooed after all of this time. And she lives a simple life with the sisters cooking, cleaning, being the the portress, opening the doors for those who come to the convent and just a beautiful story and so what we know of her has been written down over all of those who met her for those 42 years after but she had a remarkable grace to forgive the damage that was inflicted to her um, and to actually rejoice in that saying you know had this not been done to me and my story had been what it was I would not have ever entered into religious life. And uh, she just has um, some beautiful quotes here. Uh, read them to you. Uh, she says, If in this life we do not hope in the Lord, what will we ever accomplish? And it was, it's just so powerful. And Pope Benedict of the 16th, in his second encyclical space, Salvi, actually begins his encyclical on hope by writing the story of St. Josephine. And it's really her ability to look back in her past and, and literally look at her scars and say that the Lord still loves me. And um, it's just, uh, just really beautiful. Um, so again, I've said it several times, but I encourage you to read about her. And so I wanted to end with her because I think she is... Uh, the saint of hope. And it's a virtue that we need right now in this time, but in all times, whether we return to normal or not. Um, And not hope in the things of the world, but in a hope that really elevates us to our God. Yeah, St. Paquita, pray for us.
2: Adam, some great information you're sharing with us this afternoon. I, it's interesting because I just got it. We, we, we just actually finished up a, a preordination retreat and uh, had some information from uh, St. Baquita. And uh, just, I'd never, I'd heard of her and really wasn't that familiar, but just read that. And I was just really blown away by all that she had gone through. Just really amazing, you know, growing up, uh, obviously, in Sudan, but it, just an incredible story. So thank you so much for sharing uh, all of these great saints, uh, St. Saint Ignatius of Antioch, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Maximilian Kolbe, and St. Uh, Josephine Bakhita.
1: Well, truly any saint... Um, You know, any spiritual reading on the saint, um, I believe, is going to elevate our minds and hearts to the Lord. Um, The Church, in her wisdom, has given these people um, as a guiding light. Um, And so you really can't go wrong with any of them. But I would say uh, St. Augustine, I'm I'm becoming a huge Augustine fan. He would be wonderful, who else i mean saint john paul ii really recent and a lot of people know a lot about him but his his early life um, was really filled with uh, with a lot of struggles saint Teresa of avila uh, saint robert bellerman saint jerome saint athanasius who would be considered a church father had just an an incredible story of um, not just hope but of really perseverance when St. Athanasius was alive, there was the Arian heresy had broken out. Mm-hmm. And and some would say that St. Athanasius single-handedly um, kind of stood his ground against the heresy as all these other bishops um, uh, apostatized, basically. Mm-hmm. And so if you read anything from St. Athanasius, just in the face of crisis, St. Gregory the Great, man, so many, St. Joan of Arc, those would, those would be some of my recommendations.
2: All right. We are about to wrap up here. Adam, thank you so much for your time and sharing some great information this afternoon. We'll continue to keep you in our, our prayers. And uh, we, of course, uh, you know, continue to uh, pray for all of our seminarians and, and uh, just wish you the best of luck. And we'll talk to you very soon.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's always uh, wonderful to join uh, Divine Mercy Radio. And, uh, yeah, hope all goes well and know of my prayers for oh, you as well. Harvey.
2: Sounds great. Thanks, Adam. God bless. All right, thanks again. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. If you're a business that can help support this One Body show, please know you'll receive three underwriting spots per show, and the show runs five times a week. Plus, you'll be listed as a sponsor on the One Body page of Divine Mercy Radio's website. If interested... Please call Donetta at 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Band, and KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg and Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.
2: One body, stood in God's creation.